Welcome, everyone, to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian-American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and on today's show, it's my pleasure to introduce you to two very accomplished Vietnamese-American women who are social justice activists educators, and community leaders. Joining us today are Dr. Thuy Bo Dang and Dr. Tuyen Nguyen to talk about their efforts to amplifying the voices of the API communities in Southern California. Dr. Thuy Bo Dang is the curator for the Southeast Asian Archive and Regional History in the UCI Libraries, leading its new Orange County and Southeast Asian Archive Center. She holds a BA in Asian American Studies and English from Scripps College and MA, and PhD in Ethnic Studies from UC San Diego, where she specialized in race and ethnicity, oral history, cultural studies, immigration and refugee studies, and Asian American studies. Dr. Tu Win Nguyen was born in Vietnam, but escaped with her family in 1979, and she grew up mainly in Southern California. She received her undergraduate degree in biology and comparative literature from UCI, and her master's and PhD uh, degrees in public health from UCLA in 2004. Thank you both ladies for joining us today on Asian Voices Radio Podcast. How are you both doing today? Um, well, thank you. Thank you for having us. Doing great, Hula. Fantastic. No, I'm so happy you guys are both on the show. And I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Uh, Tui Vodang. Uh, so Dr. Vodang, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, first and foremost, that I didn't cover in your bio. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction. Uh, I am myself am also a from a Vietnamese refugee family, came with my family to the U.S. in the early 1980s. Um, and I grew up around Southern California, primarily the Inland Empire, so Riverside County, um, until I headed off for grad school. And, you know, I'm the first in my family to get a college degree and first to get a PhD. Um, so I really enjoy mentoring first generation college students where I'm at at UC Irvine. So for your experience, you mentioned, you know, growing up in the 80s. Um, how was it for you, you know, growing up in, you know, did, were you surrounded by a lot of Asian Americans? Did you have to deal with a lot of uh, issues or struggle as you were growing up in Riverside? For sure. Well, when we were here in Orange County before we headed out to Riverside, um, I'm from a huge family. I have five brothers and three sisters. Okay. Um, and the 80s and early 90s were um, a time of turmoil in the Vietnamese American community in Orange County. So there were there were a lot of challenges, um, you know, including uh, you know the, some of the the gang violence and that that Orange County got stereotyped for mm -hmm. in the 90s. So my brothers were caught up in that. So that's one of the primary reasons why we moved out to um, uh, Riverside County. Oh, wow. Okay. Because, uh, you know, I grew up here in San Diego, also grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I totally know what you mean, because I have cousins that live up in Orange County. And it just seemed that almost that a lot of Asian Americans or, you know, were just joining these gangs to just fit into the community. What is your experience dealing with your brothers having, you know, being in that community? Yeah, I think that was absolutely the case, right? So many uh, young people were coming here as unaccompanied minors at the time, um, as refugees after the Vietnam War. So they were really quite unanchored, and um, the school environment was challenging for them to navigate. So 
many of them band together and found strength in numbers and a sense of belonging. And so I, I do understand some of the context for, um, for why that happened. But there was also, you know, the police profiling of our community um, as all gangsters, which was quite problematic. Um, it was actually in uh, the 90s when um, two young Vietnamese American girls sued one of the cities in Orange County because they were profiled in the Cal Gang database and they successfully won that case against um, racial profiling. And few people wow. know about that history of resistance. And when did that happen? Uh, that was in the early 90s. Um, the Orange County and other parts of California, they were using something called a Cal Gang database uh, to profile Asian American youth. So if the police drove by and there were two, three, four of you gathered on the street, they could pull you over and take photos of you and post, post it at the police station bulletin. So that was happening quite a bit. And uh, these two girls who were going to Tustin High School got profiled. They were just hanging out waiting for a ride home. Um, and they sued. They, With the help of the ACLU, they sued the police department. That's incredible. I think I remember hearing that growing up because I do remember, you know, growing up, I'm Filipino American and growing up Asian uh, where I live near National City where I grew up. There was a lot of uh, police officers that were driving by and, and definitely stopping us. And we were just standing around our house or the driveway just hanging out and they would come over and, you know, start to harass us and stuff. So I do kind of remember what you're talking about. Now, Dr. Nguyen, for you, how was it for you growing up? Yeah, so I also came as a, a young child, as a refugee with my parents as a boat, boat people. And we actually first arrived in Virginia um, and lived there for a year with my uncle and aunt who had sponsored us over. They had left uh, right when the war had ended in 1975. And so we came in 1979. And I remember uh, growing up in Virginia that first year in America, feeling very different because we were one of maybe two uh, Asian families in the entire school. And at that time, there weren't that many uh, Asian communities uh, in Virginia. And so it was quite an experience um, entering that world um, and feeling, especially at a young age, um, very aware of how I did not fit in or how I did not belong in certain circles. Um, and then we moved to uh, California and uh, lived in Monterey Park uh, for okay. a few years while I went to uh, middle school, um, elementary school. Um, so that was also an experience coming from Virginia and then going to Monterey Park and being in this community of uh, one of the most populous uh, Chinese communities and Asian communities. Um, so it was a very different um, experience, but I got to see both sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have a unique experience because I know I've spoken to a lot of Asian Americans who grew up, you know, very similar to the time we grew up, the 80s and 90s. And for those of us like myself and uh, Dr. Vodang, being in Southern California or being in California in general, yes, there were issues and, and racist uh, racism around. But, you know, for the most part, there were a lot of Asian Americans that you could end up going to our communities where for you being on the East coast, I, I know there's a lot of people that have gone through you, you know, the way you did it and being one of the only, that's what I hear all the time. One of the only three mm -hmm. Asians in the school. Right. You know, right. 
Yeah, and it, there's there's co- the context, of course, is that my my uh, aunt and uncle um, had come to Virginia because they when they first came over, they were placed in the camp uh, in in uh, Pennsylvania, and so okay. um, you know a lot of refugees basically resettled in communities nearby where they first came in as refugees. Um, and so there's a lot of context behind that and how the government basically tried to disperse the Vietnamese American refugees um, when they first came over. So then for you, when you ended up going to California, did you find yourself starting to emulate more like the community, that Chinese community that you were surrounded by? Or did you stick to your, you know, your Vietnamese roots and, and proudly represented, you know, being Vietnamese? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually made a lot of um, Asian friends when I came to Monterey Park, and a lot of my friends were non-Vietnamese because, again, Monterey Park is mainly a a Chinese community. So many of my friends were Chinese at that time. And um, I think the school that I went to, most of the students there, more than 50% definitely uh, were of Chinese descent. And so it was very different coming from Virginia, um, where I, I... you know, I only knew one other person that w- that looked like me and then immersing right. myself in this Chinese community when I went to Monterey Park. Yeah. Wow. What I mean, now that's incredible. So for so let's fast forward now to the both of you being professors. So you guys are actually you guys know each other. You're linked up. How are you associated with each other? Share that story. So Tuwin and I uh, met, I think, through. Um, well, you know, we were attending some of the same conferences because we were both doing Asian American studies back then. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Orange County from San Diego, actually, where I was doing my graduate studies and teaching. And then in 2010, I moved up to OC and um, I joined the Vietnamese American Arts and Letters Association or VALA. And Tuwin had been part of VALA for a while. And that's how we really kind of grew our connection and um, service to the community and our friendship from there. Yeah, we actually met at um, one of the first uh, the Asian American Studies uh, conferences. It was in New Orleans, I remember, and um, our families came with us. And so we met then and then we got to know each other through our community work. And how important is that community work for you guys? We'll start with Dr. Nguyen. Like, you know, how is it how important is it for, you know, our young people today as far as, you know, the things that they're going through with the whole, you know, Asian hate situation around, you know, nowadays. Give me your point of view mm-hmm. as far as that is concerned. Yeah, I think community is so crucial to my development um, as a child growing up. I think how I learned about social justice and my way of being in the world was influenced by how I interacted with my peers, not only in the classroom on uh, campus in, in in school, but really through the community work that I got involved in, um, mainly um, doing refugee advocacy work and also um, later in my uh, doctoral degree, um, really working with community members around cancer education and developing programs for youth empowerment and mindfulness. And um, a lot of the health work that we do is 
uh, what's called CBPR or community-based participatory research. And so a lot of it, it stems from this involvement, this idea that the community knows best what the solutions are for whatever challenges are going on in the community itself. Because oftentimes, I think being trained as um, academics, we tend to come in and do what they call helicopter research, where you come in, right, you do research, you collect the data, and then you leave and the community members never hear from you again. Whereas CDPR, it's about really going into the community and involving community members and really looking to them as the experts. And so I just, in reflecting about my development personally, as well as professionally, all of it has been rooted in this community and um, the communities that I've worked with. And so I'm, I'm just so thankful um, that I had the experiences that I had. And I always tell my students, whenever you can get some experience working in the community, go in at the ground level, work with people who are living in those communities. That's how you actually learn about those communities. It's not through books. It's actually going into those communities and really developing your skills there. No, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm going to ask this question to Dr. Vodang because I grew up, like I said, 80s, 90s, and gangs were around. Asian gangs were a big thing in San Diego. And a lot of times, whatever, you know, we would hear about our culture growing up and we would learn from our elders how things were. But I don't feel like my generation anyways, uh, you know, being a Gen X, we did much in the sense of, uh, you know, we, we were proud of our community, but but actually standing up to do something, it, it, I don't feel like we were doing much to raise our voices because maybe whatever reason uh, we were stuck in that whole, you know, model minority stereotype or whether or not we were just trying to respect our elders. But I feel like these young kids, I mean, it's very cliche to say, oh, millennials, they all, and the zennials, they all want to stand up and fight for social justice and everything like that. Do you actually see that happening? Or do you feel like in this TikTok era that we're living in, these kids are like, okay, yeah, that's cool, but I'm just going to do my own thing. Well, I guess I'll I'll respond to that and connect it with my kind of um, origin story with community work. Um, you know, like you, I, I did feel very much the pressure of conforming to my community and my family's expectations of achievement and success because of all the sacrifices, right, of that um, immigrant or refugee generation. Those who have escaped, you know, a communist re- regime or they've lost everything, and then they're raising you with all of these opportunities, and it would feel t- terrible to squander that. So I think that pressure is very real for many first-gen college students. Um, And so often what happens is that they kind of delay their their own hopes and dreams and and their passions. Um, I was very fortunate getting to pursue my PhD in ethnic studies when nobody really knew what that was. I mean, I didn't know how to explain that to my parents. Um, And that training put me uh, squarely into into the community for um, ethnography and oral history work. So I'm trained as an ethnographer. I go into, you know, a community and I'm there as an observer, but also as a participant, um, learning from elders and and others. And in San Diego, I volunteered with the Vietnamese Federation of San Diego for five years um, as a volunteer, as a board member, as a note taker, you know, helping to organize events. And I didn't agree with everything that my elders were doing in this organization. 
Um, but I was there to learn from them. And so I had to put a lot of my own values and beliefs aside so that I can collect their stories. And so that led me onto this path of doing oral history work um, in a much more concerted way, right? Because I really believe that once you have the opportunity to sit down and listen to someone's story, it is hard for you to hate them or to, you know, to act on bias and um, discrimination towards them. Once you're able to really hear someone tell tell you about their struggles and their resilience, um, the things that they've felt and endured. I think storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we can train our youth uh, to do social justice work. Um, and so I think when we talk about activism or uh, community work, there are many entry points, right? And Professor Nguyen talked about public health as an entry point for her. And I think for me, it has been very much about um, doing oral history and collecting stories. And now I get to be somebody who stewards um, Southeast Asian stories and their materials. That's incredible. No, I, 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 no, I definitely see where you guys are going with it. I, my question, I guess, uh, for you, Dr. Nguyen, so now that you're doing this, you know, social justice and, and advocacy and, and, you know, getting really in, in there uh, with the community, now that the times we're living in, you know, the biggest thing for us, for Asian Americans uh, right now is is dealing with all the hate, uh, Asian hate, and dealing also with this pandemic. Like, how do we take that information and educate people to deal with what's going on right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, if anything, this pandemic has taught me to really be aware of my own biases and my own blind spots. Um, I think being caught in the situation where we didn't know, even in the public health community at the start of the pandemic, um, some people were still saying things like, oh, don't panic. It's, it's you know, it, this is just like the flu. Um, and so right. I think there were a lot of people out there who felt like they, they it, we shouldn't take this too seriously, right? And right. I think we were ill-prepared to deal with um, the magnitude of, of this pandemic. And I think being able to learn more about mindfulness, um, especially within the last few years as a research area, um, and becoming more aware about how important it is to really pay attention, to really be in the present moment, and to really think about how you can react to things, how you, how you have control over the way that you respond to certain situations. That has been really invaluable for me. And I think just thinking about the ways that everyone has, has been trying to deal with the pandemic this, this past year, how right. do we respond, right, in, in, in a world where change is a constant? And that's really <laughs> the only constant we know, right, is that right. the world is going to change constantly. And how do, you, how do you manage that? How do you uh, respond to that in such a way that you're able to um, uh, take care of yourself? And, and the article that um, Dr. Tui Vodeng and, and I wrote with Dr. Tao Ha, um, it talks about this sense of self-care and community care, right? How do we care right. for ourselves and then how do we care for others when we are faced with challenges um, like the pandemic and, and all the other things that came along with it? Yeah. So then, doc, Dr. Vodin, kind of tell us a little bit about this article. Like what, you know, give us, for those of us that, um, well, first of all, where can we find the article? 
<laughs> it will be published this summer with um, Amerasia Journal, which is the premier journal for Asian American studies. Um, we were approached uh, maybe nine months ago or a bit longer um, to write about our experience being Vietnamese American women, activists, you know, working in the community, um, primarily through VALA, but also through uh, some of the struggles that we've had in the past year in uh, dealing with um, the, the contingent of our community that tends to be very vocal mm -hmm. and um, anti-Black, you know, um, misogynistic also. Um, right. So we had all kind of faced those challenges in various ways. And so we were asked to reflect on that and write something that might speak to this generation who are they're currently organizing on the ground, you know, they're organizing against um, anti-Blackness and against Asian hate. So we, you know, ended up writing pieces that were quite um, grounded in our own lived experience. And we brought them together into kind of conversation with each other. So I hope that folks will um, look out for that uh, article. It's, um, it'll be published, I believe, this summer at the latest fall, 2021. And Amerasia is really trying to balance more of that scholar and community perspective. Right. So they'll have other pieces that are being written by, um, you know, activists and uh, younger folks. So not just academics, they're trying to appeal to a wider readership. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because someone like me who really is glad to be away from academics, um, I would love to get my hands um, or my eyes on those that article to, to see that point of view for sure. Now, uh, give me a, a, you know, for those of us that are, are that, you know, are listening to this podcast and wanting to know more about this article, can you drop some some information? I know you mentioned storytelling and stories and stuff, but what else can we look forward to uh, when, you know, reading or getting ready to read this? Well, I think it's actually, um, it, it reads like personal stories, right? And so I don't think you have to be academic or no theory, but we do try to also call out some of our influences. And this is one of the beautiful things I love about Tuin's writing is that, you know, she does both um, call call in like these black feminist scholars that really inform our, our thinking, um, but also ground it in the way that she uh, is working through, you know, her family dynamics. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my little teaser for her, for her segment. <laughs> and let me, let me do the teaser for her Dr. Vodang's section. So I think um, Tui does a wonderful job of also really breaking down really academic concepts, right? Um, uh, things like um, personal shame and, um, uh, things that are hard to understand in the abstract, and she ties it in with her personal experiences, particularly this past year, and having um, been targeted uh, by by others in the community for certain posts that she had put on Facebook and and so forth, and so um, dealing with the family pressures and and family um, uh, reactions to what happened during that time, it was really interesting. And I, I have to say that working with, with um, Tui and, and Tao on this article, it, it was like a therapy session for me <laughs> because it was just so <laughs> wonderful to meet every um, week on Zoom and just really go through what we were going through during the pandemic and being having that space to talk with each other and reflect and process um, because it seemed like every week there was something in the news that we were enraged about or um, depressed about, or, you know, it was just constant onslaught of things happening um, this past year. 
And so it was really healing to be able to, to write that article together. Well, it falls back, um, uh, Dr. Wynn, on the the idea that you mentioned before about community. You know, having that community when you're in a pandemic and we all have to stay in our own homes, granted, we have our family members that are there to assist and be there for us via Zoom, but sometimes you just need that personal you know, somebody who's not part of the family that you that will become your family that you, you know, can relate with uh, on different levels. But Dr. Vodang, um, Dr. Nguyen just mentioned you went through some craziness this past year. Can you elaborate more on what she just mentioned? Sure, I'd be happy to, although I do want to leave some things, you know, to the readers right, later right. on. No, absolutely, <laughs> a little absolutely. Bit of a teaser. No, absolutely, <laughs> well, this absolutely. Was all, <laughs> this was all very, very public, though. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, the, uh, this current generation and their, I think they're very savvy about using social media as a powerful tool to communicate and to connect with communities. Um, around the time of the election, I had posted some images of myself wearing some t- uh, a t-shirt um, that had, you know, uh, some profanity in Vietnamese that expressed my anger at the former administration. So okay. under the Trump presidency, right. um, we were just seeing a lot of, you know, racism and, and he was stoking the fire, um, the, fanning the flames of a lot of hatred. Right. So I was really angry. Um, and I had shared a photo and this um, first generation Vietnamese American um, po- screen capped my my photos and posted on his own wall very hateful words about me. Um, and then also somebody anonymously wrote to my university to some administrators trying to get me in trouble, right? Calling out like she's not fit to be an educator. And so I used that the same social media platform to fight back. And to really use it as, I thought, as a teachable moment to talk about why our community comes for us like this, why they tend to target women also. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd seen this happen to my fellow, I call them my fellow sister resistors in the community. They've done um, amazing work in speaking out about some of the more repressive elements in our Vietnamese American community and have uh, similarly, and I think in way worse forms been uh, the targets of hate and venom. So I wanted to make sure that this wasn't something that I just, you know, swept under the rug or, you know, canceled my account and then just, you know, didn't do anything about. So Mm -hmm. I reacted and I ended up learning a lot from it. Um, It did cause me a lot of anxiety and, um, and I reflected on what that meant to be Vietnamese American and to continue to work um, in this community that can, be such a source of pride and joy and love, but also um, contain these elements that are vicious and violent against its own. So I think loving our communities means that we have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly and really try to build, right? Build together um, these spaces to heal. And that's what I found in, you know, the sisterhood with Tao and Thu Win as we were writing. We really did process a lot of the harm that had been, that we had experienced so that we can continue to do community work from here. That's amazing. I First of all, I love the Sister Resistors, and I, I hope there's a T-shirt or some sort of merch that can come out along with this article because I feel like this is something that uh, could happen. But on top of all that, thank you for speaking up. I, I just want to say that first and foremost, and maybe other people have said that, but I, I know for me, uh, being in the media and watching a lot of uh, hate come to a lot of Asian Americans and 
and Asian Americans, you know, you hear that they they're quiet about it or they're ashamed or they're, you know, it's a very shameful thing to speak up or maybe they feel like if they speak up, then they too will be in trouble, quote unquote, you know, um, because of something they did, even though they were just maybe maybe walking down the street. So thank you for standing up and using this platform that you have to get this out there and to allow other people to see that, yes, you're Asian American and, and you're going to speak up, but also you are a woman and you are going to speak up because this it's, it's horrific what is happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, just to echo your point earlier, Hula, about um, the importance of community. Right. Um, and I think Tui mentioned this in, in looking at, the work that we do in the community. Um, the, I think the hardest times for me is not when um, the outsiders are the cri- critical ones, but it's actually the, the insiders, the ones within our families, right? Within our, our own communities um, that it, it really hits the heart. And I think, um, yeah, we have to find those pockets where we're able to support one another and to be able to find that sense of um support and and resilience um you know where where you, wherever you can find it i think it's really hard and um being able to to do that in whatever ways you can especially during the pandemic um it's really really crucial for our own survival absolutely no well dr nguyen you bring up a good point though because there is an internal struggle i myself uh, like i've mentioned already uh the, i'm filipino american and my f- Parents are both conservative Republicans who mm-hmm. very much supported um, our last administration. Yes, and yes, myself, my sip, <laughs> yeah, and my <laughs> siblings, we're all, you know, first generation. We're all very vocal. Um, and I have a younger brother who is who's gay. And so, you know, we've had to struggle through all that through our lives, having to respect our elders, but at the same time keep our voices strong. So for those that are listening to this who are in the same boat as all of us, what would you say to them, um, Dr. Nguyen? Oh, tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe, or Dr. Vodan, what would you, yeah, what would you say? Because that's an internal Mm -hmm. thing we all have Mm -hmm. to, you know, and you just mentioned, same here, same here, you know, I, you know, it's, what do we do? What, what, how do we not tear up our family But get our point across that, mm-hmm. no, what you're saying is not truth. It's not the end all be right. all. It, there is, you know, we can we can actually learn mm-hmm. from each other mm-hmm. and learn, you know, from this new administration. How, what do we do? Yeah, I think a lot of the questions that you're asking, we grapple with those questions in our article and we don't have all the answers, obviously, but I think trying right. to relate that into our personal lives. And um, I think it's it's about figuring out what works best for you, right? And really um, thinking about the bridges that we're able to build with one another. Um, we, we end our piece talking about uh, building bridges and um, going through school. We, we I took a lot of women's studies classes and, and learned about feminism and all that stuff. And I think reflecting back on that, right? And, and a lot of the struggles that we deal with in social justice, um, people are always going to have different opinions, right? But how do you build those bridges and how right. do you try to understand others' points of views um, and, and make the best of, of 
of things so that you continue those conversations rather than just denying um, people who don't agree with us, right? Our family members who may not agree with what we agree with. Um, it's really making that effort to meet halfway and have that middle ground. Yeah, and I, I would add to that. I would add to that and um, to also think about boundaries for yourself, right? Because, you know, Tuwin mentioned how important self-care is to sustain you in this work, right? Social justice work is hard and it's heart work. So you are, it feels like you're bleeding all the time. Right? And I think you really do need to establish some boundaries around, you know, um, people even within your own family that you might have to step away from for some time before you can come back and reestablish a conversation or, or build trust with again. And this is what I learned this past year when I ha have had others in, you know, my close circle in my family that I haven't agreed with, that it was okay to have that break. Um, right. That seemed really difficult for me before this year, but the pandemic forced us, forced so many of us to take breaks from each other. <laughs> and I think in that way, it really helped to, to let me know that it's okay to take that break and take care of yourself um, because you can only be strong and whole and, and healthy, um, right? If you are able to um, care for your, your soul and your spirit. And then you can also choose, there's a chosen family that's apart from the families that you're born into. And these are the people that are in the struggle with you and they will sustain your passion and your drive and your motivation. And they'll be the people that, you know, whose shoulders you'll cry on. And um, it's really important to fortify yourself and surround yourself with those people. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know what? I'm going to keep it at that because that that was beautiful the way you wrapped it up. And just on a different note, again, if I bring up the T-shirt thing, I love the fact that you just said <laughs> social justice work is hard and heart work. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. I love and you bleed it. You bleed it every single day. I love that. I'm just saying it could be a shirt. Maybe you can fund it. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> that's how I got in trouble in the first place. Oh, that's right. That's right. Social media, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, you know what? I would love to bring you both back when the article comes out and we can, you know, take a little bit of more deep dive into it and, and talk more because I feel like this is just, we just scratched the surface with this topic um, and I would love to bring you both back on the show if you're available terrific oh, that would be you. lovely yeah, and that... we should rope uh, Talha in two yes for the perfect yeah yeah, we'll definitely get uh, the whole group together. Um, but with that being said, real quick, um, where, you know, you said it was online, where can we just keep up to date with the both of you? So I am pretty active on Facebook, Tweevo Dang, all together, um, and on Instagram. Uh, but, you, you know, the Orange County and Southeast Asian Archive Center also has a social media account um, folks can follow for events and updates. Perfect. And then Dr. Nguyen? Yeah, I'm, I'm not on social media as much. And I actually have been on sabbatical uh, this year. And so I've been laying low and trying to just um, take the time and space for myself. Um, but I'll be back teaching in the fall. And uh, people can always find me on uh, the Cal State Fullerton Asian American Studies Department website. Um, and I, my email and, and my contact information is on there. Well, perfect. Thank you both for being on the show today. And to learn more about today's show, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. And on behalf of Dr. Tweebo Dang and Dr. Tu Win Win, thank you so much for listening to today's show. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices Radio podcast. Take care until next time. <laughs>